We will be looking at the Word of God together in just a bit, and in preparation for that, our guys have some Bibles, and they're going to make their way down the uh, aisles, and so as they do that, as they go back, if you don't have a Bible, we want everybody to have one to be able to look at the passage we'll consider, so as they go back, just get their attention, and they'll get one to you. They'll give you that passage in just a bit. This day is the culmination of many years of prayer and hard work and the trying of everyone's patience as we have considered nearly 30 parcels of land over the years and various buildings. The overall search has involved months and years of effort on the part of many, many people. This particular project goes back over a year and a half when we first toured the building as a leadership team and a building committee. So in October of 2011, having toured the building, our leadership team made an offer of $250,000 for the 47,000 square feet and 15 acres that are here. On November the 14th of that year, the Trenton School Board accepted that offer. And the following day began a five-month, 150-day due diligence period that culminated in April 15, 2012, our congregation voting to consummate the purchase of this building and property. On May the 10th of last year, the purchase was completed. Then we had to go through the process with the city and its planning commission. On August 8th, they gave their approval for us to proceed. September 7th, renovations began, and it was just this past Thursday that we received a certificate, a certificate of occupancy. Now, throughout all of this, God has used the sacrificial effort of many people in order to get us to this day, beginning with our leadership team, members of which comprised our building committee and our finance committees. Now, I'm going to mention several people in just a bit, but I want to give special mention to two at the outset. Ed Martin is the only person to serve on both the building and finance committees. As chairman, chairman of the building committee, he's worked more than full-time on this project for well over a year. God prepared Ed for this endeavor with a 30-year engineering career. He gave him a servant's heart, and that was precisely the combination that was needed in order to have the skills and the attitude necessary to move this forward. From a human standpoint, this is really the house that Steady Eddie built. And his wife, Sharon, not only supported Ed, she spent countless hours with him, running down details, visiting the building, hosting me at their home for, for strategy sessions. And Ed and Sharon Martin, uh, thank you for serving the Lord in this way. Now, I considered naming every person who's participated in the project. I really started to construct a list, and it was simply too long. Just about everyone in this room, and perhaps, in fact, every person in this room, has participated in some way in bringing this day about. So instead of an exhaustive list, I've decided to quickly provide a representative list to give a feel for the effort that's been involved in this project. I've categorized this representative list into demographic groups, starting with children. Our children have been involved in this project. Little Stella Owen has accompanied her dad here and worked on various tasks. 
I'm told, though, that she did voice her doubts to her dad that we'd be done by February 3rd. <laughs> Braden Albright and Bryce Fight were here yesterday making trip after trip to the dumpster with cardboard and trash. A week ago Saturday, Caleb Banks was on hand, and after completing a number of tasks, uh, he saw me in the hallway, asked what else he could do. I took him to one of the, what's now an adult uh, classroom. It was yet, as yet uncarpeted, had a bunch of stuff strewn throughout. I gave him instructions about what to pitch, what to save, what to put where. When I came back later, he had done all of it exactly as I had uh, asked him to do. His mom and dad say that's not the way it goes at home, but nevertheless, we're... <laughs> Our teenagers have participated, mostly in preparing the impact zone on the south end of the building, but not exclusively so. A few weeks ago, Alexa Stockdale was here on her hands and knees, helping lay the tile that's at the base of what is now the coat racks, used to be the lockers for this building that you see around the entire perimeter. Our young adults have participated. You can see Cher Elwert's handiwork in the paint above the coat racks and in the work that she did in our nursery setup. Many of our seniors and retired brothers and sisters have stewarded their time in this effort. For instance, Bill and Tricia Davis have planned and procured and put together the furniture in the kitchen and in that beautiful cafe community area. Denny and Paula have worked to give the resource center the look of a bookstore from, from day one. Peggy Charbonneau has forced uh, Larry to drive by this building every time they run an errand over the last 10 months. They've been over here every day, cleaning and doing anything asked of them. In fact, Larry and Len Montague hitched John Roberts' trailer to Len's pickup, and on Friday picked up the risers that are behind me and the furniture that's in use in our uh, team cafe room. Speaking of John Roberts, he's been over here almost every day for months because every time he took a test drive of one of the cars that he had repaired in nearby a Woodhaven, he somehow wound up here sometimes just in time to unload a truck that had just arrived. He and Pete Belich have worked uh, after work to make use of our existing sound system for the audio in this room. As you know, Ken Rapp organized and oversaw a huge volunteer effort over the last crucial month. And then relatively new members of our church have gotten involved. Uh, a few, about a month ago, we had a work day here, and the entire Weaver family looked like a hazmat team. They had gas, they had uh, masks on as they were taking ceiling tiles down in the uh, teen room. People who are not yet members of our church, but seem like it, have helped us as well. The Allens, the Nortons, the Myers. Bill Golden bought and brought lunch for our volunteer crew last week. Our many skilled people contributed. Aaron Kinder made the beautiful information center, the nursery check-in counters. He did work on the audio desk that's at the back of this room. James Sternberg, Kevin McKinnon, Paul Wozniak, Gene LaChapelle, they've all used their training in carpentry, heating and cooling, electrical work to ready this building for use. CBCers couldn't provide, who couldn't provide physical labor have been praying faithfully for all aspects of this project. And let's not forget this, friends. That during a three-week period in April and May of last year, this congregation gave 100 and $30,000 in three weeks that were needed to finance the purchase of this building. It meant that many were called on to sacrifice and even to risk for the cause. And bear in mind, friends, if we did not step out in faith at that time, then the news that you heard earlier today from the foundation would have been completely moot because they require that you be all in first 
before they consider giving a grant. We took a calculated risk in purchasing this building. We collectively determined that it was worth the risk involved. And let's take that with us, dear friends, going forward. God's work goes forward as ordinary people do extraordinary things because they're willing to risk for the cause of Christ. Now, I've said all of this and mentioned all of these names as a means of encouragement to those who are named and to to all of us to continue in that kind of service and even greater faithfulness in the days ahead. And this is in keeping with the model of Scripture in which names are mentioned and the service of those people, the service that people have rendered is honored. But I want you to notice something else that the Scriptures say in Psalm number 115. I invite you to turn there, Psalm number 115. So many people that God has used to make it possible. We want to encourage and even honor those who are faithful. Psalm 1, number 15, in verse 1, says, Not to us, Lord. Not to us. But to your name be the glory because of your love and faithfulness. Now take a look at the outline that was inserted in your program. And you'll see that at the top, the title of the message is Stealing God's Thunder. We hear it said, you know, I don't want to steal so-and-so's thunder, so I'll let him tell you what happened. And we get from that context that it refers to taking credit for something which belongs to someone else. But why is it called stealing thunder? I looked into that. I didn't know. I've said, I don't want to steal so-and-so's thunder. I didn't know what it meant. But now I do. The story that uh, lies behind stealing someone's thunder is that of a literary critic and largely unsuccessful playwright, John Dennis. In 1704, uh, he invented a new method of creating the sound of thunder for one of his productions. We don't know now what the method was, but it's reported that after the play failed and was closed, the method was soon afterwards used in a production of Shakespeare's Macbeth. Dennis was less than pleased at having his idea taken and is reported to have said, they will not let my play run, but they steal my thunder. Now, if we're not careful, friends, it's possible for us to steal God's thunder. Ultimately, all that we accomplish is because of Him. Whatever encouragement we give to one another, and we should, we must always do, as I have said in the outline that you have. We must, first of all, protect God's glory. Protect God's glory. Psalm 115 and verse 1 says, Not to us, Lord, not to us. Twice we are reminded, not to us does the glory belong but to your name alone. Now, why do we have to be reminded in this way? Well, it's because, again, as I say in your outline, we are, as humanity, hardwired for glory. Hardwired for glory. That is, God has made us for something bigger than each of our individual lives. Paul David Tripp, in his excellent book, A Quest for More, says, I'm going to read an extended excerpt for you. 
He says, it's a classic scene in Western culture. She stands before the microphone, beautiful and poised, a finalist in the Miss America contest. The host asks her what she would like to accomplish during her reign, and she says, I'd like to create world peace, solve world hunger, liberate all the caged parakeets in the entire world. We've all heard it a hundred times. It's been the fodder of late-night stand-up comedy routines. And yet for all of the cynical smiles and sarcastic comments on the face of the, face of the contestant's grandiosity, there is something deeply and uniquely human about what she has said. He said, there is woven inside each of us a desire for something more, a craving to be part of something bigger, greater, and more profound than our relatively meaningless day-to-day existence. And he goes on to define that quest for something more, the something more as this large word transcendence, something beyond us, certainly beyond our individual lives. And then he says this desire for transcendence is in all of us because God placed it there. He constructed us to live for more than ourselves. And so that's why I say in your outline, we are hardwired for glory. But we must always be careful as we navigate the interplay between nature, what we are in human nature, and what we are in our sin nature. We were made for something more than just our own lives. That's part of human nature. But then you add to that sinful nature. And use as an example emotions. God is the one who made us in human nature to have emotions. And I have read many times in counseling books, anger is a God-given emotion. And the implication sometimes explicitly stated is therefore it's okay for you to vent your anger because God is the one who gave you the emotion of anger. But what they failed to do is take into account that we no longer just have human nature as we were originally created, but we now have added to that our sin nature. And so, too, with our tendency to great things. That is something that is God-given in human nature. And that's why the writer of Hebrews says, What is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made man, humanity, a little lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor. But the Bible warns of our tendency to pride and usurping the praise that belongs to God. And so the Bible says in the New Testament, quoting from the first part of your Bible, the Old Testament, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. God is so serious about maintaining the glory for himself that he says things like this in Psalm number 50, if I, God, were hungry, I wouldn't tell you because the world is mine and all that is in it. He says through the prophet Isaiah, For my own sake, for my own sake I do this. How can I let myself be defamed? I will not yield my glory to another. We are hardwired for glory. But I say in your outline, by God's grace in the salvation that is in Jesus, we are rewired for glory. Rewired. And rewired not just for glory, but notice I say in the outline, for God's glory. You see, in our humanity, we were made for something more, but that becomes distorted and twisted and no longer focused on the God who made us and the God who gave us that transcendent desire. And it becomes focused inward. But God is rewiring us, remaking us in Christ so that now we're restored to what we were originally intended to be, living for His glory. And that's why famously in your Bible, many of you know this passage, whether then you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all 
for the glory of God. Now that verse is a summary. It's the end of a section in 1 Corinthians that starts in chapter 8. 1 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9 and 10 deal primarily with an issue that the church in Corinth faced, namely, should we eat meat that has previously been sacrificed to an idol at the pagan temple in Corinth? And in those three chapters, Paul, who wrote them, addresses that issue. And he says it's just meat, and idols aren't real. They're just pieces of wood. So if that were all you needed to consider, then go ahead and eat it. But he tells us that there's more to consider, namely that we emulate the character of God in our relationships with others so that we show the love of Christ to those who might be offended by our participation, who might be caused to sin if we do that. And if that's the case, then Paul's instruction is never touch that meat, never eat that meat. And then he summarizes by saying, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. You see, the reason he says to the glory of God is because, as you've heard me say many times, the glory of God is the display of his character. And if indeed God is love as he is and as the Bible proclaims, then we must emulate and model that love in our interactions with others, including in this context of whether I should eat a particular meat. We must protect then God's glory. But second in your outline... We must praise God's glory. Psalm 115 and verse 1, Not to us, O Lord, not to us. And notice, when it says Lord, all four letters of Lord are capitalized. Now that's a convention in the New International Version that most of you have. It's a way of showing that that word Lord is a translation of the, the Hebrew name Yahweh. There are other names for God in the Old Testament, Adonai being one. And when you see the word Lord in your English translation, and it's a translation of Adonai, it's capital L and then small o-r-d. But this is capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, because it's a translation of the personal name of God. That he identified himself as in Exodus 19, when he spoke to Moses and he said, Moses, I want you to go to Pharaoh and tell him, let my people go. And you remember Moses said, how can I speak to this world power? He tried everything he could to get out of it. And then Moses said, well, who am I to say sent me? Do you remember what he was told? I am has sent you. And the name Yahweh is related to the Hebrew verb to be. I exist, the self-existent one. I am. And God placed his personal name of the self-existent one as his, in his relationship to his unique people in the Old Testament, the Israelites, as now the name of Jesus is for us in this era. God's name in Scripture is his reputation. His reputation due to his character. And we've already seen that God's character is his, his glory. And so it seems like now when the psalmist says, not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name, your reputation because of your character, be the glory, the display of your character. If you put that together, it may seem like it doesn't make sense. Not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your reputation because of your character. Be the character. How does that fit together? 
Well, I say in your outline that we observe God's glory. So allow me to explain how that fits together. We observe God's glory. As the psalmist did in Psalm number 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. And so God's name, His reputation, because of what He has done, displaying His character, becomes one of might and omnipotence as we look at His creative activity. We observe that, but we're not simply to observe that. We're to respond to that, I say in your outline. And we find that in Psalm 29. Ascribe to the Lord, O mighty ones, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord, now notice this, the glory due His name. And so this is why the psalmist then in 115 says, Not to us, Lord, not to us, but to Your name be the glory. Your name is glorious because of the reputation that goes with all that you have done. And now we are to respond with the honor and praise of glorifying you in all that you have done. To your glorious reputation, Lord, be the honor. And then lastly in your outline, we protect God's glory. We praise God's glory. And we promote God's glory. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory. Because of your love and faithfulness, says the psalmist. I said under the prior point that we observe God's glory just by looking at his handiwork in creation. And now here, I'm saying we we not only observe it, but we experience God's glory. You see, when we look at the power of God in creation... We're awed by that, or we should be awed by that. But what makes it comforting, not just awesome, but comforting, is that we experience it in, as the psalmist says in that first verse, we experience it in his love and faithfulness personally. And so we experience God's glory, and having experienced God's character, his glory, including his love and faithfulness, he has now called us to do what I have in your outline, to reflect His glory. We see it, we observe it. We respond to it in praise. But we don't just see it. We experience it personally in the love and faithfulness of our God. And we have been called as His people now to reflect that character, reflect that glory to His world. Theologians divide the character qualities of God, his attributes, into two major categories. Sometimes they're called the attributes of his goodness, the attributes of his greatness. One uh, categorization is his communicable attributes and his incommunicable attributes. Communicable means simply this. It can be passed on, shared with others. And so God has a category of character qualities that we can emulate, that we can reflect to those he brings into our sphere of influence. Jesus said, when you give a cold cup of water to one who is in need, one who is thirsty, you give it in my name. We reflect the character of God by our transformed lives because of the grace of Jesus and the cross of Christ, because of the love and truth 
that God has given to us and that we have been able to experience. Now this love and this truth are to be seen in us. Not only individually, but collectively as God's church. That's why those of you who have been with us for any length of time have heard me talk about this church becoming what's called a full-service church. We're going to seek to meet every need that God brings before us as He allows us to do that so that we can show the love of Jesus. We can reflect His character to the community, to the world that He has called us to reach. The Bible says of the Lord Jesus when He walked the earth, the Bible says Jesus was, quote, full of grace and truth. He held both of those character qualities in perfect balance, and we too now are called to hold those in perfect balance. In fact, one translation of Psalm 115 and verse 1 says, instead of your love and faithfulness, it says, your loving kindness and your truth. And so God's, God's love, His, His kindness, His, His grace, and also His truth, are to be character qualities that we emulate. Now hear this, friends, and I'm almost finished. This means that as we seek to be in the words of our slogan of our church, the family of God, built on the word of God, but do you remember the last phrase? To the glory of God. As we seek to be that, we will not be, as I'm afraid many churches in our day are, we will not be ashamed of who our God is. We will proclaim very clearly with our lips and with our lives who our marvelous God is. We will uphold His name, which is His reputation because of His glorious character revealed in all that He has done. If we believe that He is good, if we believe that He is great, if we believe that He is loving and faithful and true, if we really believe that, then why should we be ashamed of who our God is? And it seems, though, that in today's church many are. Hear this. God does not need a better advertising campaign. We are, according to Scripture, His advertising campaign. And He has transformed our lives so that we begin to think and talk and act like Him. And hear this, if His character is attractive and we're emulating His character, then we will be, as a church, attractive to those with eyes to see. And those who are blind, only God can cause them to see. Isn't that what the Scriptures teach us? What God says is true, what God says is reliable, and what He promises and does is always in the best interest of His people. God is beautiful. His truth is beautiful. And so we need to emulate what He is like and proclaim what He has said, not only without apology, but with overflowing joy because of who He is and what He's promised. And these are the gifts that He has given to His people. Dear friends, on this special day, though God used all means and all sorts of people to bring us to this day. It is ultimately about Him. And He allows us to participate. And He receives the glory as we show Him to the world and praise Him for allowing us to do so. And so I say at the bottom of your outline, we must be careful. 
to give the praise to God for all he allows us to accomplish. Thankfully, what he allows us to accomplish includes modeling his character to a fallen world. He has allowed us, according to Scripture, to participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, Scripture says, then make every effort to add to your faith goodness, to your goodness knowledge, to your knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. He has done this. Allowed us to show what he is like to the world in order to spread his fame. In other words, he has done it for the sake of his name. For his glory. That's why the Bible says in Romans 11 and verse 36. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen.